All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited to continue on with our Women in Leadership series this morning. I've been, I've been running for Springfield City Council and coaching my daughter's soccer team. That's taken a, quite a bit of my time, and I'm very happy to get back on track this morning with the podcast. And we've been interviewing uh, different women in leadership roles, women in leadership positions, hearing their journey, hearing their story on how they arrived where they're at today. Because it's one another's stories that give us courage. It's one another's story that gives us encouragement. It's one another's stories that help us identify with those who are, you know, just like we are, uh, working hard, trying to live a dream, trying to arrive to a certain place of expectation. And this morning we have Elora, Elora Kesh, uh, here, Kelch, I'm sorry, I keep mispronouncing her last name. I'm going to begin by reading her bio and then I'm going to introduce Elora a little bit more. Elora Kelch is a marketing professional and multimedia artist. Originally from California, Elora moved to Eugene, Oregon and graduated from the University of Oregon with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Art and Technology and a minor in Business Administration. She spent time in Spain studying international business in Guadalajara, Jalisco for one year where she polished her Spanish language and graphic design skills at a local ad agency. Alora is the Manager of Marketing and Communication for the Springfield Area Chamber of Commerce and serves on the board of Eugene Darkroom Group. She is passionate about visual communication that supports and uplifts programs that promote education, accessibility, and inclusivity for the local community. In her free time, she enjoys live music, skiing, the outdoors, thrifting, and playing co-ed sports. Laura Kelch, good morning. Uh, welcome to Molina Leadership Solutions ongoing series uh, in women in leadership. Thank you for your time. How are you feeling this morning? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm feeling great. Yeah, I'm ready. Excited to do this interview with you, Mark. I'm super excited. You know, all this time I was thinking, why won't Alora interview with me? She won't respond to my emails. I'm like, is she an introvert? <laughs> Did I make her mad? She won't respond. To lo and behold, I found out you never got any of the emails. So I'm very grateful uh, that you're here with us today. Yeah, I'm glad I got the emails after all or checked in with you in person. So <laughs> happy to be very, here. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, for those that are watching, I have sent Alora some questions. We want to hear about, you know, this series, Alora, is about encouraging others, especially women. And I started this series uh, over a year ago and re remembering my mother. My mother was, and for me, the greatest leader of my lifetime. And uh, when my father died, he died at 39. She was 37. I was 7. And she was left to raise seven children on her own. And this was 1971. And in 1971, for a woman, we were poor, we were Hispanic, and she was a widow. And that was not a good combination for women in that day and age. And I watched how society really mistreated my mother uh, as if she was a leper in many ways because of the cultural expectations. So when I started the series, I wanted to help women tell their stories as an encouragement to us, as encouragement to others, but especially as an encouragement to other women who their challenges are unique to them and they need as much support 
and I'm uh, as much support as they can possibly receive to, re to reach the highest levels uh, of their dreams, their hopes, and their aspirations. So your story today is going to help others realize and learn that they can do it too. So I appreciate you so much for your willingness to come on Molina Leadership Solutions and share your story. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I think it's it's very honorable and I think very timely with Mother's Day as well, kind of you saying honoring your mother in that way. So I think it's it's good to elevate women in our community. Yes, in our community. And stories. Absolutely. So let's get let's get the party started. Uh, tell us something about you that is not on your bio. Sure. I thought I thought I'd throw a couple things in here just for fun, some extra fun. Um I'm the youngest of three sisters. Um, my two sisters both live in Bend and my parents also recently moved to Oregon. Actually, sorry, my sisters live in Portland and my parents live in Bend is what I meant to say. Um, so now we're all Oregon folks. And another fun thing is that I'm recently learning how to juggle. Um, and that is something I've just tried to do and it's never too late to learn something new. So I'm still not very good at it, but, but I'm getting there. So what are you learning to juggle? Um, I just have these juggling balls. So I'm doing the three balls. Um, there's a certain pattern. Um, I don't, I forget the name of it, but one of the classic patterns. So. <laughs> well, my first thought was you juggling bowling ball pins. And oh man. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh man, I hope it doesn't hit her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not bowling ball pins, but there also are those, there's ones that are shaped like bowling ball pins that Maybe I'll graduate too once I get the balls down. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, your parents, how long have they lived in Bend? They just moved here um, about last year. They've been there just about a year now. And what do they anyway, think of Bend? They, I think they like it. It's a, little, it's a little cold for them originally from California. So it is a bit of an adjustment having to drive in snow and kind of be living in snow, snowy conditions. Um, but I think... I think they do really like it. it's kind of like a it's kind of like a playground over there there's just so many outdoor activities and shopping and lots of places to go see and have fun in and your sisters how are they enjoying the portland area i think they like it yeah it's um they've been there a while now i used to live up i used to live with them for a little bit too we all lived in one house together um and now it's just the two of them and um i do go up and visit pretty often so we're pretty close family like to go do stuff like that together. That's wonderful news. It's, it's always good to have family. It is. Let's get into you a little bit, your story. Art and technology. When did your passion for art and technology first come to fruition? When did you realize that, hey, I really like this stuff? Yeah, I do think there was a specific time in my life um, where I was really just noticing that this is something I wanted to do. Um, I would say that being a later on the later end of like being a millennial, technology was a really, um, really starting to become big around the time that I was growing up, and it was really kind of there. Um, I was exposed to computers early on. I got my first laptop in middle school, and I was part of a first group of kids in our new laptop program that was going on in middle school. Um, and on my laptop, I was gifted a program on there from my dad. It was um, Adobe Photoshop Elements, which is like the light the light version of Photoshop. Um, and I used to kind of just mess around on there. I was just making a bunch of creative graphics to post on like websites and forums that I was pretty involved on. And 
um, just doing those for fun mostly. Um, and then in high school as a junior, I decided to take one of the new classes that they were offering and it was digital arts. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, I guess, where I just really was learning the skills of doing like graphic design and digital art in general. And from then on, I knew that it was something that I, I wanted to probably pursue when I went to college and kind of in my life going forward. What were some of the projects in high school that you worked on in digital arts that were really intriguing for you? Yeah, um, I would say, so when I was in high school, after that digital arts class, I did decide to pursue that further and take AP art. Um, and so I took the AP art class where we had to kind of just choose a focus of, of some um, to make a body of work to turn it as a portfolio as as the AP test basically was a portfolio of work that we worked on the whole year. Um, and so I just pretty much honed in on to my specific interest of making like digital collages and um, photo manipulation type of pieces. Um, the first art contest, um, and then I did a few art contests as well. The first one of which was participating in the in an art contest to raise awareness around AIDS. Um, and so, in that art contest, I received an honorable mention on a piece that I submitted, and that was kind of a special project to get some recognition on. Why? Why uh, around AIDS? Um, I do think that it was just a local competition that was going on that our teacher kind of emphasized, like, this is happening, why don't you go ahead and submit something? So that was kind of how that came about. And what did you learn about AIDS uh, during that time frame? What did you learn about that segment of community or the particular struggles of living with that illness and what in that line of, in that presentation that you did? Of course, um, I think kind of the biggest the biggest element that I was kind of taking away from it was how much of a stigma there is against that community and how it can be, or like it's just perceived as such a scary thing and it, and it is such a scary thing. And we just kind of have to have sympathy for people who are um, going through that in their lives and compassion. After that project, did you, or during that project, did you have an opportunity to meet anyone that was HIV positive? Um, I no, I was not able to. Okay. Part of it. Interesting. I, I really appreciate that. When I was at Fort Sam Houston in nineteen in the nineties, at one point I was assigned all this, uh, and within the detachment of soldiers I was responsible for, I had all the soldiers that were diagnosed HIV positive. So that was a significant learning experience for me on uh, around the illness and around stigma, as you say, and the hardships of living with that particular illness. Uh, it was really a moving time in my life. Yeah. Now, before your educational pursuits at the university, we talked about some of this, but um, when you came to the University of Oregon, let me just let me rephrase this a little bit. What are some of the you knew that you knew, right? You knew that you knew you were going to get a bachelor's in fine art in this area, correct? Pretty much. Yeah, I was still I was still sort of open to the idea of maybe I might pursue something else. Like I, I almost had a little bit of an imposter thing of like, is, is art really something that I want to pursue? Um, I did as a freshman, I kind of was still taking some other generalized classes to see if there was anything else that might 
called to me more, but there was just kind of always the itch in the back of my head of like, no, I like I that is what I want to do. Laura, what would you say to? I'm going to ch change it up a little bit here because I'm your your con this conversation I find so compelling with you. Um, what would you say to young? A young individuals and or families that might be concerned about their children wanting to get a, a degree in this, this type of work that you're doing that might seem like, you know, that's fruitless, there's really no future in it, why would you do that? From your experiences, what, what would you, what kind of advice or counsel would you give to people? I would say that you can be surprised by the amount of opportunities in a professional setting that you can use, utilize creative skills in um you know whether or not you do want to train and become a classical artist and you know work in a gallery type of setting or freelance setting like i i do think that's an honorable thing to do and i think that's great especially if you can make it work um but if you want to have the buffer i guess of having you know working in some kind of field i do think um or you know in a professional field there's really kind of jobs that you can that you wouldn't really expect like you can still kind of work in the medical field with an art degree you know there's kind of like creating 3d models really kind of tying it into the technology aspect of it too i think exploring that computer science aspect of art is always has always been a really interesting um, pathway that i think students can take especially nowadays with how um how integrated technology is into basically every field um and so I guess at the end of the day, though, I think you should just really follow your dreams and trust your instinct. And I think there's always a way to make something work out the way that you want it to. I appreciate your uh, description, especially you use the term classical artist and or freelance artist, freelance artist. And I think for those of us who don't know much about the potential of that field of study, we might think of exactly what you said someone who has uh, your background, your uh, your interests, your expertise, they m might only have hope in a museum or uh, something to that effect where art, uh, art can be put on display. But what you said really, my mind just like poof, opened up when you talked about all the different areas where you can use that skill set to use uh, the creativity, uh, graphic arts and design, and just the sheer amount of, um, the breadth and the the width of how that can be utilized in, in today's fields. Uh, so you have a bunch of parents maybe hypothetically sitting in a room thinking, Laura, Laura, we're just not sure. We're not sure if we want our child to do this. What would you say to them? <laughs> I guess I would just say, you know, you gotta you gotta have trust in your kids at the end of the day too, because I think. Um, at the end of the day, it's most important to be happy. And I think finding a career that helps you be happy is what you want to be doing. You don't want to just be doing something for the title. And I think um, you got to have trust in your kids. Very good. I really appreciate that. That's really important. Now, in this particular field, uh, you've developed a lot of different types of skills and a lot of different types of uh, media, media and marketing tools. What kinds of things for someone like me who doesn't really know much about the things that you've learned, what would you say to us who think they're there? Um, we just don't know about the options that are available to develop a legitimate skill set in what you do. How would you describe that to us? 
Yeah. Um, I think, especially in my kind of in arts and technology specifically, we kind of are exposed to all the different types of technology that you can use to, to um, you know, use in art or in marketing. Um, they all kind of work together and complement each other and kind of figuring out which one maybe is your strength and or which one is a which one is a strength in a certain situation I think is kind of um, what you learn by practice so like you learn the skills in school but then it's just kind of putting yourself out there taking on different projects that you might um, think you know maybe I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't necessarily like be the most skilled at this but I should give it a try and just you know take a good shot at it um, art and then um, for me specifically to art and marketing are definitely separate worlds, but they complement each other um, really strongly. They each require like a different skill set that ultimately end up working in tandem. Um, kind of yeah, like using deciding whether to go with like photography or video or design, depending on what kind of message you're trying to get across, especially if it's like related to business or whatever organization you're working for. Um, just learning how to mesh the art principles that you learn and how for effective like visual communication while having the communication aspect side of it as well um, to strengthen those visual messages. I've never heard someone like you before that, or someone like uh, is involved in your arena of professional endeavor. This is the first time I've heard these kinds of explanations I'm really intrigued. It's really exciting to me because I'm thinking, I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking, I see Alora with her camera all the time at events. Yeah. And uh, the last time I saw you at an event with a camera, I literally thought to myself, I wonder what kind of story she's going to want to tell after this event with the pictures that you take. So am I wrong in that particular thought process or are you thinking about how you're going to tell the story it's not just a bunch of pictures I mean I, de I definitely think that especially when it comes to like event marketing and specifically especially with the work of the chamber and you know there's all the different types of events that we put on for businesses in the area and kind of having them have opportunities to network and um, or you know different business education opportunities and part of that part of making people aware of those programs that we offer is like just showing, you know, giving a little, little bit of a taste of how it looks, even though, you know, it's not all about how it looks, obviously it's mostly about the content, but just giving people an idea of what they could become involved in and kind of giving them sort of a, it's almost a little bit level of comfort of like, okay, this is what I'm going to be going into in this situation. And, it's sort of the best way for us as well to get that story across of like, we're, we're doing all this stuff and here is a little preview of it. And, you know, it's just really, really important for people to know what, what we're doing in the community and that we are doing work. And here's, here's evidence of that. Yeah. There's no doubt that um, the content, as you say, it's not just the photos, but it's how it all ties in together. And there's no doubt that since your arrival at the chamber, it has just the skill and the expertise of the media storytelling component has just been incredibly elevated. So there's there's no doubt that you have brought a legitimate uh, expert, uh, well-informed, well-trained skill set to the chamber. 
Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. That's all true. Now, before your work at the chamber, where else have you worked using your skill set, this particular skill set? I would say probably in most of the jobs that I've taken um, during my time at university and just um, just before my job here at the chamber. Um, I've done a fair amount of freelance design work, kind of making graphics for social media um, and website graphics. I've done a couple branding and logo projects for various local companies, as well as video editing and photography um, in general for different events in the area. I think of when you say video ed editing and um, my mind just like it closes up my brain. It, 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 I panic when I look at editing tools. Uh, they they can be intimidating. They um, video editing is very technical. It's not. I can't say it's my favorite thing to do. Um, it's like it's very satisfying though when you finish it and you know at the end of the day like getting a little right little edit, making having something have that nice flow is just really satisfying. But the process can be a bit tedious. Yeah. I think a, a specific example of that is um, I used to, back when I was a student at University of Oregon, I was involved uh, through the journalism school. They have a student run TV program. It's called Duck TV. Um, and I was just, it was at a time where I was just really looking to become involved and do stuff. And so I volunteered. Um, I was like, oh, uh, do you want to, uh, like, I'll be a video editor for one of the shows. And they were like, yeah, we need a video editor. And I remember thinking I was so lucky to have the opportunity, but really sometimes it's the video editing part of the work that's kind of like the brunt of the work. Yeah. Um, and so it's some, somewhat underappreciated, but it's a, it's a good skill to have. Yeah, when I have to edit videos for the podcast, it's always an overwhelming moment for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me see here. Tell us about Spain and your international business studies and was there a particular company and product that interested you uh, when you selected that area to, to travel to? Yeah so I think the aspect of international business that interested me was just to kind of expand my awareness and um, become more educated on the differences between like domestic and international business and the processes that organizations go through in order to expand to the global market. But I do have to say, I think the main reason for me to choose Spain to study was kind of the desire to study and live in a foreign country and kind of get the opportunity to take classes specifically about the culture in the area. That was more of my interest and um, having at the same time in tandem taking classes that would count towards a minor in business administration was really um, appealing to me. Um, I, I remember that I had considered doing an art program just since that was my major. I had considered doing an art program, I think it was in Italy, but I really just kind of prioritized going to a Spanish speaking country and kind of honing in on that skill a bit since I had kind of the, the foundation and just really wanted to um, build that up a bit. And so I thought that studying in Sevilla felt like um, a right move at the time. What did you learn about the differences in an organization that is has domestic uh, abilities and wanted to go international with their business? Um, I just really think that there's, um, it's just really like a big step that one would have to take. And there's just so many things on the back end, like financial um, 
elements that you have to consider in sort of uh, studying kind of the markets of different foreign countries and how they differ from each other. And if it even is a feasible thing for you to expand, like what are the what are the benefits of doing that versus just staying domestic? I thought was was pretty interesting. What were some of your favorite memories of your time in Spain? That's not on the question. Yeah, um, ad lib now. Is it not of <laughs> my not. time in Spain? I think it might have been. Um, I I really loved everything about Spain. I um, I lived with the host family while I was there, oh, um, so just being really integrated um, into into that life and like learning how what it is to be a local in Spain. Um, I loved the beautiful buildings and cathedrals there, all the museums to go visit and all the art. Um, tapas were amazing and churros y chocolate, <laughs> it was delicious. Um, and then just being so close to other places to travel to. So traveling to nearby cities like Madrid and Barcelona, as well as um, traveling as well to other neighboring European countries. Talk, talk to me. When I was in Germany in the army, uh, we got to travel with our military ID card and our leave form. We could cross borders into different countries. Um, what are some of the other countries you got to visit while in Spain? Yeah, so the ones that I went to, I went to France, uh, Czech Republic, Hungary, Portugal, and Italy, and I did also visit Morocco as well. Um, I feel like there might be a missing one, but those are kind of the general. It was also, it was just really easy to travel around with like using Ryanair flights. You could find just really affordable, um, affordable flights and just fly over, pop over for a weekend. And that was, that was really cool. Yeah, I miss that about Europe. You could pop over for the weekend, literally you could do that. And just the trains themselves were so, literally. public transportation, mass transportation was so, much more highly advanced than anything we've seen here in the United States and very accurate, uh, yeah. well-run, well-managed, mechanically sound. It just uh, made travel so much better. And you're right, that question Definitely. was on the list. I got out of order, sorry. <laughs> just a little lower down, no worries. Now, what did your parents think? Uh, their youngest daughter's going overseas to Spain. How did they handle that? Um, I think they, uh, they obviously had some hesitations about like my safety and just like, is she going to be okay traveling alone? Um, but I think at the end of the day, they were really just happy that I was expanding my horizons and kind of taking, taking risks and taking the opportunity to kind of, um, grow as an individual. And they were happy about it. I think as well, too, they were, um, they did really kind of push traveling on myself and my sisters, kind of like, you know, it's a, it's an experience that you, you definitely won't regret. So you might as well do it while you're young. Yeah, when I came home to my the town in Texas that I grew up in, after being in Europe, I was so excited. And I had all the photo, my photo albums from France and Belgium and the Netherlands and Luxembourg and and uh, and I was so excited to speak to my friends and said, remember when we studied about the Battle of the Bulge in high school? I got these pictures right here, Patton's Tank into, into, into Belgium. Yeah. I had all these incredible photo albums and real life experiences and none of them had left our hometown. And they couldn't identify with 
this dramatic experience and I realized at that time I could never live there again because I was too different. Did, did you have any re revelation like that about who you were after that first overseas experience about how different you were? I think it really does kind of change your perspective on things because not to say that it's a terrible thing to stay in your country and you know where you're comfortable but I do think it's just really eye-opening to to travel and see how other um like international communities like work um and it just you know it makes you really grateful for your life and just real realizing how like privileged you are we are too compared to other communities um I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good quality for people to have to kind of um, be open to experiencing new things like that. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt changed after I went through it myself. That's very good. What did you learn about uh, living with a host family? It was it was really cool. Um, I think you know the fact that they're open to taking people into their family home is just really special and it's an experience i'll just forever be grateful for um i think it also is just the best way to learn a language if you're trying to learn a language um just being fully immersed because they didn't even speak english and so my spanish is pretty good i wouldn't say it was quite at their level so sometimes especially with my host dad he had he had the fastest Spanish ever and he was just so witty. He would kind of like speak in poems and jokes constantly. And so sometimes even when you knew what exactly the translation was that he was saying, it was kind of just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so sometimes it was definitely like an adjustment, um, you know, learning kind of the, the ways in which they speak, not just the words they're saying. Um, and then just really getting to experience too, like the culture and cuisine how everyday life is and it was just really an experience you can't beat. Yes, you're right. It's not just the technical mechanical opponents of the language, but it's the cultural expressions, the idioms that they utilize and how it's incorporated into all components of interaction that that is really super important if you're going to be in a in a in a different country and understand a language. Yeah. You know, when I was in Germany in the army, they sent us to two weeks of German class. And I was amazed at how much we learned in two weeks. And they informed us as soldiers that the, the local uh, German communities want us to try to at least speak in German to them and have some basic phrases. Yeah. And it was really super helpful to relationship building. Um, let's see. Awesome. Yeah, it really was awesome. Now, how long was the trip between Spain and Guadalajara, Jalisco? Um, so I lived, I was studying in Spain in 2014, and I lived in Guadalajara in 2017 and 18. So a let's couple of years talk, in between. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit now. So you came back from Spain and you went to as a, what a grade level were you in at the university when you went to Spain? Um, it was my first quarter of my senior year. First quarter of your senior year. Then you came back and you graduated. And yes. then, then you, uh,
Guadalajara, Jalisco was for more uh, schooling or was it for um, employment purposes specifically? Um, it was more um, for employment purposes and just having the experience of living abroad. Um, actually, at the time I was doing just some, I had some freelance contract work that I was doing um, remotely. I was doing a lot of uh, creating transcriptions and video captioning materials that you can, it would just do it online. They would send me an assignment and they send it back. Um, so that was what I was working on as, at the time as my main source of income. Um, and so just because I was at home anyway and not really what sure what, what next step to take, we thought um, my partner at the time thought it was just gonna be a kind of a cool and unique opportunity to use that time to go live abroad for a little bit. Um, and so it was a bit of a, a little bit of an impulsive thing, but it's something that I definitely don't have regrets about. It was a really valuable experience. It's but yeah, I was in I was in Portland for about a year before we decided to do that. I'm listening to you say that. It reminds me of Vani sharing her experiences here on this show regarding going to uh, Japan. It sounds very much uh, yeah like that story. Uh, that's so cool that you did that. You were a graduate. You had graduated. You were doing contract work. You said it was impulsive. I think that's great that you had the time, the opportunity to be impulsive. You're in a good place in your life, personally and professionally, that you could do that. How did you select uh, Guadalajara, Jalisco, and did you work for companies there or just work freelance and travel and practice more your immersion? Um, yeah, so it mostly was the, uh, the internship that I did do there for a while was, it was just pretty lucky that I found it on Indeed at the time, actually. So I was kind of surfing, already living there, um, doing the contract work that I was doing before, um, but just also wanting to take a little bit more of an advantage of, of being there and try to work for an a local organization. And so came across a job posting on Indeed um, and applied for it. And that was definitely a unique experience of being in a workplace setting of only speaking Spanish. Um, definitely a little bit difficult, but it was a really, really great experience. Um, and then uh, didn't work at really any other organization specifically there after that, um, but took the time mostly to travel around and um, just kind of polish my Spanish. So tell us a little bit about some of those memories and experiences of living there. What did you learn? How did you, I'm always interested in our growth and development, especially as individuals, especially as leaders, because you're talking and I wrote down this word as I'm viewing you share your experiences as I'm hearing you share your experiences. And I wrote the word courage, your stories emanate your personal courage and your willingness to do what was, uh, undone before in your life, uh, not experienced before, to become even more skilled and more qualified, and daring to dream and daring to risk. So m now when I see you, I'm going to see this word about your life, this word courage. W how did you grow? What would you like to share with us about that personal time of development? Yeah, and I mean, I really appreciate you saying that just in terms of the courage. Um, I think that was a big element 
going into it because I think as a young person, you know, I was just kind of riddled with anxieties and not always willing to take um, certain, you know, risks like that. I think I was very much playing it safe for a certain time at a certain point in my life. And there was just something that clicked in me of like, I need to be doing, I need, the only thing to like get over that is to actually just kind of immerse yourself in things that maybe you don't want to do. Cause what if, what if you end up liking them? And then, you know, if you miss out on that, I guess it's a little bit of FOMO, <laughs> um, which is fear of missing out. Um, but I, I think specifically in my time traveling in Mexico, just really overcoming that fear of like, especially like the insecurity in my own Spanish as well. Like I thought, even if you're not perfect, you know, at a foreign language or whatever skill it is, um, just the fact that you do put the time and effort into learning something new, um, I think is just always a really valuable quality to have. And I want, I really kind of strive to do that as much as I can in my personal life. Um, I, Guadalajara, Mexico is just really, a fun place to live in. I think the, the approach we took to choosing mayor over another country was we thought at the time, oh, Mexico, Mexico City seems really intimidating as being the biggest, you know, city in Mexico. And so, you know, Guadalajara is the next biggest one. So we'll kind of go there and see how it is. Like it felt a little bit more comfortable. I think at the end of the day, I might have been more open to living in Mexico City too, because it's, it's beautiful there as well. But um, yeah, it was just it was just a really great experience and being able to travel around like that, um, make new making new friends as well, and kind of having establishing connections around the world. I think is just also a really a really cool thing to do, and you know it'll always kind of come back later in life of they might travel here, um, and being able to kind of I guess pay them back or you know for your time that you spent in their country and just. Establishing connections, I think, is has been a really big thing in my life lately too. And anywhere, doing that everywhere and anywhere is is really a good opportunity to meet new people and gain different perspectives and you know, just kind of diversify your life experience. Well, I'm I'm listening to you talk and my mind is racing back to your previous description of when you were in Spain in 2014. And I'm thinking how much different, how different you were, how much more you had matured, how much uh, you were willing, you were a senior in college in 2014, went to Spain, lived with a host family. Three years later, you make a decision on your own, despite uh, being riddled with anxieties and what am I supposed to do next? How is this gonna work out? And here you are now uh, as a, uh, not with a host family, on your own, as a professional, a well-trained professional, businesses online, securing more work while you're there, and living in, uh, in, a, in, in a foreign country again. And I wrote down this word, transition. This transition of, of you from 2014 to 2017. And I can see it in my mind's eye, your maturity. I can see the development and I can see the, the um, this new person, Alora, this new leader that you were because you 
made decisions to go on your own to do this. What would you say, Laura, to young ladies? This is about women in leadership. This is about helping women in leadership tell their stories and encourage uh, other young ladies. What would you say to those who might be concerned about how can we do this? Will it be successful or am I just crazy? Yeah, um, I think an important thing to kind of, sorry, my cat messing with her toy over there. Um, an important thing to kind of consider when deciding whether to do a big, a big crazy trip or, you know, just take an, an interesting step in life that you're scared to do, I think, is to just, you know, realize that it might not, um, hold on one second. Stop. Um, realize that it might not necessarily work out in the way that you really expect it to um, there's always the possibility of you know failing but that shouldn't um that shouldn't scare you from taking risks in life and i think knowing that it's okay to fail um is is an important thing and it doesn't mean that your life is over um and just you never you're gonna um it's important to like get get that life experience and just really um, go in head first and it'll, it'll all be okay. <laughs> I'm writing down what you said. You said, um, it's okay to fail. It's an important thing. And it doesn't mean that life is over if you do. And, and that's really a big lesson uh, for this message, your story, your leadership journey, your words, especially to other young ladies to remember that if they risk and they try something new, they try something different, that it's number one, the message is it's okay to fail. Um, this experience is an important thing, this process of learning. And even if you do fail, it doesn't mean that your life is over. It doesn't mean that you've failed as a professional or, or as an individual, you know, it's just another, um, it's another building step in, in your life and, and that'll lead you to that next step that maybe you won't, that you might not fail at. Thank you for that. It doesn't mean you have failed as a professional or an individual, and it is just the next step to the next phase or the next opportunity uh, that's coming for you. It, you know, it takes on a whole different, for me, uh, you know, I'm going to be 58 this month, and I look at you, I look at your passion, your enthusiasm, I look at you, your youth, uh, your experiences, and you saying what you just said has more impact on me than if a, if a billionaire company owner would have made that statement. Because for, for me listening to you just changed the entire scope of that commentary and that lesson learned. So uh, thank you for that. And don't doubt that your observations uh, do not have impact on those of us that are might be a little bit older or doing different things. So I really appreciate it. It really touched my heart. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to. Now... Let's talk a little bit about the Eugene, the board of the Eugene Dark Room Group. What is that? Yeah, so um, the Eugene Dark Room Group is a nonprofit based here in Eugene, Oregon. They're a 501c3. 
uh, dedicated to preserving and promoting film photography. Um, they pro we provide an equipped dark room for analog photographers shooting on like black and white roll and film. And we also provide educational opportunities about the medium to our local community. Um, the dark room and education program are located at Maud Kearns Art Center in Eugene. Mm -hmm. And I personally serve as their secretary um, on their board, and I just help out with other other volunteer opportunities there as well. So unless I misunderstood you, you mean to tell me there are still photographers using dark rooms? Yes, there are. It's film is not dead is one of the slogans um, that they like to use. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a community that are kind of searching for um ways to kind of keep that medium up and this is just one one of those programs that does it there's um i became involved with them in about in 2020 like right right before the pandemic is when we started i started uh, i just discovered them i was their social media coordinator for a little bit there but i i personally like shooting on film um because of how different it feels since, you know, I do have a big digital arts background. Digital photography is kind of my main shtick, um, but taking one, there was a class I took during my time at University of Oregon and it was film photography and just how different it is from the digital one, like each, that, pro that physical process of like creating an image in a dark room and being able to manipulate it with like with your hands rather than a community, uh, rather than a computer tool. Um, and then just having like the image appear after you put it in these chemicals is just really kind of a magical experience. And I really enjoy it as a, um, as like a hobby to keep up on the side. It's just a really beautiful medium, I think. Yeah, so when I was a child watching people change the film, photographers change the film and their uh, video cameras or pictures, whatever they were using, you started talking about that and went back to those scenes um, thinking of that and taking uh, film from cameras into the local developers, uh, Kodak, things of that nature to have them done. Uh, wow, that is so cool that you personally are involved with that, uh, that that is still an, an option. And I would have thought that the expertise of digital the expertise or the capacities of digital photography would far exceed that of the the darkroom or film. So that's a mistake then on my part. I mean, it's a it's a common misconception, and I do just think it's 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 a good thing to preserve, you know, things from the past. And even though it is something that might seem like a dated way of doing things. I think there's still a lot of value in, in learning methods that are different than you're used to. And you might just find that it's a really enjoyable experience once you try it. And so I think I was really excited to see that there is an organization in our community that offers classes to people, you know, who are, have never done it before, have, are just interested. They can take some classes or maybe someone who did a little bit of it in the past and now they don't, you know, they liked it, but they don't quite remember the specific ways to do it. We have like a refresher course that you can take and just having, being able to rent out that darkroom space and print them yourself rather than going and getting them developed by someone else um, is just, is really special. And I'm really happy to be involved with them. 
Yeah, I remember the the kids in my high school back in the day, uh, the half photography class, and they would go into the dark room to develop their artwork or their their photographs. So I was thinking about all that when you made mention of that experience, and I thought, man, how cool is that to keep that skill set alive, um, in the in the technological age that we live in. That there are some things I agree with you that we should not allow to disappear. We should preserve those. All right, let's see here. Now, you've mentioned using visual communication that supports and uplifts programs that promote education, diversity, inclusivity in the local community. What does that look like to you? And how would you best, how would you describe best outcomes with this personal value you've expressed here? Yeah, so kind of with that, I, I feel like everyone deserves an equal opportunity to be exposed uh, to activities that they're interested in, despite qualities that might act as barriers um, about themselves, uh, maybe disadvantages, things that would be considered disadvantages, such as like physical disabilities, uh, your socioeconomic standing or your race. Um, Especially like at the aforementioned Eugene Darkroom group, um, we've emphasized having grants available to people of BIPOC and queer people to help aid in the costs of, of those photography classes, I think is a really good example of those. Um, I was also involved back when I was still a student at University of Oregon, I was volunteering for Oregon Supported Living Program, which is OSLP. Um, they're a local program that provide um, educational um, art classes to people in the community who have um, physical or uh, de developmental disabilities, adults with developmental disabilities. So I helped um, facilitate some of the classes there um, for, it was like a beading class and just a general arts class. And so having those kinds of opportunities for people in the community, I think is just really important and a really great thing to have. What have you discovered about the community we live in? When I say community, I don't mean just Springfield, but surrounding communities, those that come to the Eugene Darkroom group, those you help get exposed to different kinds of art forms and expressions. What have you learned about our community overall and some of the, the, the uh, groups of people you've mentioned? Um, I think, you know, we're a community that has a lot of nonprofits that are tackling, you know, all kinds of issues in our community. And um, I think these ones that are specifically art related, I think it's really great that we have them here and just kind of, um, I think what we need to do a little bit more of is making people aware of them and just having um, kind of all organizations as well, kind of be more tuned into that part of accessibility. I think um, the accessibility is a really important factor. Um, I think Eugene and Springfield and kind of our greater area is pretty well known for being a creative community. And I think just really um, uplifting that and have having people become involved in that aspect of the community is really, is a really good thing. And what about, uh, you mentioned developmental disabilities. What does what would that look like to, how would you like to express that to those of us who have never uh, interacted in this way with those in that segment of our society? 
Yeah, so basically anyone with developmental disabilities, so that's like people with conditions like autism or speech impediments, just basically anything that might um, put you at a little bit of a disadvantage, you know, you might not fit quite into that bucket of social norms. Um, having the patience to kind of um, interact with that kind of community and seeing how, um, you know, art, art at the end of the day is for everyone. Like I don't, it's, there's so many, there's so much research out there too of like it helping with, you know, in therapy purposes and just kind of as a way to deal with illnesses. And it's just, there's a really a lot of therapizing benefits to art. And I think, especially for that community, it's really good um, to be able to have them have access to it. And I, it's just really honorable people who are working for people, for, for people um, to have, to be giving them that opportunity um, where they might not otherwise have it. It requires a lot of patience and a lot of grace um, to be able to, you know, kind of have the patience to do that um, and, and help out that those people who need the help. You know, Laura, man, I see you in a whole different light now. <laughs> really? I, I do. I just, the empathy, the compassion, the genuineness, the sincerity, and how you just described this work with this, these uh, individuals in our community and what that means to you and those that support. I just, uh, man, I'm, I'm feeling emotional by your descriptions. I feel like uh, I'm getting to, to see more of the real you, hear more of the real you. Not that the other parts aren't real, mind you, but just this more intimate place and in who you are that gives to others and serves others and wants to bring impact. You said art at the end of the day is for everyone. Uh, there's lots of therapizing benefits to art, and it requires a lot of patience and grace uh, to serve those who struggle with maybe the finer mechanical skills be because of uh, some type of disability. And uh, I'm just overwhelmed with the thoughts of what that looks like, overwhelmed by those who give so much of themselves to help those in these areas, but overwhelmed with you're, you're expressing, I have to say that you're expressing an amazing, beyond empathy, this amazing love, not just for art, but for people. And I'm, I'm just beyond touched. I'm overwhelmed with this expression of who Alora Kelsch is in this en endeavor and area of service that you give back to so to so many others. I really appreciate that, Mark. That that means a lot. You know, I just really hope that I can, you know, be serving and while also doing things that I love. And it just it really means a lot to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> even just having me on here too. Of like, I was having a little bit of like, you know, am I really a leader? I'm not sure if I quite qualify in that in that um, in that description. But I just think it's really, really. Um, <laughs> really nice to hear that, though. Well, there's no doubt that you're a leader. There's no doubt that you have a, a significant impact on the community as a whole. 
I just had I, I just got through coaching Springfield fourth grade girls soccer. If that's a test of leadership skills, if that won't make I imagine. You, if that won't make you question your leadership ability, man, let me tell you. But but it was a good season. Uh, it was a good time. And just what you're doing in this you know, I had a child that passed away. He would have fit into these categories. Um, mm -hmm. I have always been honest about my oldest son who's been to prison um, uh, for drugs. And he was very gifted in arts as a child. Whenever he's incarcerated, that art comes pouring out, that gift, that skill set. And he makes some of the most amazing drawings. And he always makes money when he's in, incarcerated with his artwork. People actually pay him to draw family members and things of that nature. And it always helps him uh, process that time. So what you're saying is true about the, ther the therapeutic uh, component of artwork. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, you got me so emotional, man. I'm struggling now, but that's all right. No. <laughs> touching my heart man I can't I can only imagine the pride you must personally have but not just you but your your mother and your father must have for the human being that you that you are and the good that you're doing I really appreciate that thank you if you could start a program that reflected your values no boundaries or limits in time resources or location what might that look like yeah, so when I when I saw this question, I was having a hard time kind of landing on on what that would look like. Um, but gosh, well, since since I'm so heavily involved in like the creative field, I think it would it would have to be something that kind of continues along that same path of making creative pursuits available to the wider community. Um, maybe I'd use the no financial boundaries aspect of it to kind of collect an abundance of like technology um, and have like open studio hours for like disadvantaged youth and people to kind of just come in and use it and make any kind of, um, you know, digital art or projects or just kind of crazy things, whatever that they might be interested in and maybe like providing the gallery space to um, for them to display that work and have like just have it be displayed in a professional setting um i think maybe having some kind of aspect too of having big artistic idols provide workshops on these on the whatever technical craft that they're specialized at too and then just kind of expanding it to have it in all types of communities internationally <laughs> but i don't know that was i don't know if i'm thinking too little in terms of just doing like an art thing focused thing but Probably, probably something like that, I think, would, would make me happy. Yeah, so that was a huge, huge video. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, my mind started racing to what that would look like, people bringing this vision, this communicated idea, laptops and or computers or cameras, and besides your traditional art supplies, all these different kinds of uh, components to create art, to create um, the different types of art form that you've expressed in this interview today, working potentially with local museums or schools or uh, nonprofits that are dealing with children with developmental disabilities or adults with developmental disabilities or 
the nonprofits that are dealing with anyone that feels like they're marginalized, underrepresented, or from the BIPOC community. Just this grand um, platform, this grand stage that any and all who want to come, please come, uh, because we're here to, to help you do something really special. And to have those in the art community who are experts and recognized experts to come and give these potential workshops or times of instruction to enhance that. Man, I just my mind started racing along with you. And I thought that was I thought that was a beautiful vision. Man, what do we gotta do to help you fulfill that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe someday we'll start tackling that. Man, that was that was really fantastic. What would you call something like that? Do you have a name? Oof. Not at the moment. I feel like I would I would need to give the proper time of finding that right name for that. <laughs> and that's, branding around it. That's, Important aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. Thank now, you. Yeah. In your bio you said you like thrifting. So what are some of the treasures you've discovered in this hobby that shocked you as being discovered in the moment? Yeah, um, I would say like less shock, but more just like really happy excitement um, comes when I find something that's in like really great condition at, especially when it's a really low price. So like nothing, nothing makes me happier than that. <laughs> or just like something that has good bones and like refashioning it into something new. Um, my, some of my favorite discoveries was I had I found a really good Polaroid camera, I think at like St. Vinny's or something. It's really excited. It was only like 10 bucks. Really excited to get that. Um, and then I got the coffee table I have in my living room currently. I got that for free off of the app next door, which is kind of one where you can kind of connect with your neighbors. There's people giving stuff away for free on next door all the time. Um, I got a coffee table there and I um, refinished it and kind of painted some of the bits of it as well. And it just kind of turned into this whole new, whole new thing and it was really exciting. I kind of like taking on different little art projects like that as well to keep me busy. Now so tell, us, excited. tell us about this Polaroid camera. What made that unique to you? Um, I just, you know, really having, I kind of like just having all the different types of ways to take pictures and there's something about the Polaroid camera of having that instant gratification of having a, a photo right away. Um, it's just really, it's a really fun little sentimental thing. Um, having, being able to like capture little memories and have them available to you immediately is really nice. And I just wanted to have it in my arsenal of photography gear. <laughs> so for those that are listening, you, you're making mention of, unless I'm wrong, the Polaroid camera that you take, you take a picture and it slides out the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And there's a misconception. You're not supposed to shake them. I know there's that one song that says like shake it like a Polaroid picture, but you actually just you take it and you put it away in a little dark area for a few minutes while it develops. Um, and they're fun. They also I feel like they make really good gifts to the little either the photos themselves or if you get someone a Polaroid camera, I feel like it's really special just kind of having them around when you're with family or when you're with your friends and just kind of capturing those kind of moments are always just really really nice to kind of hark back on them when you're looking at those photos. All right. So we got to talk about this. All right. Because when I was <laughs> sentimental, kid, well, well, let's talk about this because when I was a kid and we had those Polaroid cameras you're making mention of, not only were we taught to shake them, but we were taught to blow on them at the same time <laughs> and, and shake them. So I know why you're supposed to blow on them. <laughs> 
So an old wise tale. Tell us, tell us the uninformed about that. Why is that not good, and why we should put it away in a dark place? I don't know that I necessarily know the specific chemistry reasons, but I uh, I know at least blowing on it would disturb the chemicals that are resting there on the on the paper, and I think. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't know if it actually is different. Like maybe it was different back in the day you were supposed to shake it, but I, I mean, I don't think so. I think just kind of leaving it undisturbed for whatever reason is just kind of the way to get the best picture to develop. Then <laughs> you should just trust the, the technology in, or, you know, the science behind it. You know, I, I don't know how it works, but <laughs> maybe I take advantage of that a little bit. I should look into it a little more, but it's just really, it is fascinating though. I still have a bunch of Polaroids from when I first entered the army in 1983 that I still have. Really? Yeah. Some some of them are still in really good shape. Some not so much, but I I do have some. That's awesome. Yeah. So thrifting, where did that come from? Did you guys do that as a family with your parents, with your mom, or just something you learned to enjoy because of who you are? I I don't quite remember like when I, I think I used to go more with my friends. I didn't go, I don't go sometimes with my mom. Um, but I think in high school is kind of where I started picking up and you would mostly go for clothes, you know, the more affordable way to, to get clothes and kind of be creative in your fashion sense. Um, and then just kind of going into college too. I think a lot of my art practice used to kind of inform it too. I used to use like a lot of found objects or, you know, things that I would photograph too would maybe incorporate objects that I found um, and just kind of repurposing old and into something new was always kind of a common theme. And so I think that kind of tied into my art as well. And then just in my personal life too, like I just always really enjoyed um, finding little collector's items and bits to from another era, you know, to kind of integrate into my house and then you just you know you see it in your house and it's like oh I remember when I when I found that and it was really cool I don't know it's just a a fun little hobby that I've um, mostly done for myself and by myself but it's also fun to go do with people too like oh I'm looking for you know I'm looking for a pink shirt and you just go and you find the coolest one that you wouldn't find you know at a big retail shop so are we maybe one day looking at Alora's downtown art studio and antique thrift stop, uh, thrift, thrift shop combination. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it would integrate some of that. Yeah, that would bring some joy. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Now you talked about co-ed sports. Talk, tell us a little bit about the type of sports you like to to play and why. Yeah. Um, so I would say my favorite is softball. And that's the one that I kind of picked up first in terms of the local co-ed sports recently. Um, softball was the one growing up that I just always was most drawn to. Um, I used to be a pitcher back in the day, but there was, I don't know, I kind of lost my pitching after. Like I feel like I went through a growth spurt um, and then I wasn't as good at pitching. Um, so I did a lot of first base as well and kind of outfield. Um, so softball was the one I started with. And then when I, it was when I was living in Eugene, I hadn't actually played in a long time. I played in high school, kind of on my city league, um, and just decided once I was kind of settled down in a place that I would look into kind of the opportunities locally of what teams to join. So I just put my name on the local interest list, I think for city of Eugene, like 
parks and rec department. And I got reached out to by a team that needed a girl. And so I said, sure. And then with them, they've also been involved in a lot of other sports that they've kind of just invited me to. And so it's like, got a, got a whole new friend group out of it. Um, and I've been doing ones that I haven't really done before. And so the other sports that I'm doing as well are volleyball, um, bowling is a, is a fun one. I'll, it is a sport. I was, I was about to say, it's not really a sport, but it's more of a social activity, but it, it, I mean, it's definitely a sport. Um, kickball is my newest one and also indoor soccer. And I'm on my indoor soccer team actually with Danny, who also works at the Springfield Chamber. And we're going to be doing softball together as well. Well, that's really cool. And there is a professional bowling PBA, right? So it's a yeah. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about kickball. We're not talking about dodgeball, dip, duck, dodge, and dive, whatever the movie. We're talking about kickball. My goodness, yeah. they have an adult kickball league? <laughs> they do. There's, you know, there's a lot of leagues here in town that you can sign up to be a part of. And there's even like human foosball. There's a curling league. There's all kinds of, you know, there's something for everyone. <laughs> but the uh, the kickball one was kind of a, I wasn't going to do it, but I was kind of talked into it like, oh, you know, just join us. We're doing it. Um, it's basically it's softball. So you play it like in a the same rules as softball. But instead of using a softball, you have those big red bouncy balls that you use like on the handboards. And so instead of like doing a pitch, um, they throw the ball to you and you kick it instead of hitting it with a bat. So you kick the ball. Um, you know, same general rules of if you catch it, you're out. Or I think the like the main difference too is that you can just like throw the ball at the person and like that also counts as getting them out. So that's that always that introduces a new element of fun. So that that part's kind of dodgeball y because you also are trying to not just get hit by the ball. <laughs> I played the other day and it was raining really hard and it made it a little more difficult to kind of like catch the ball and just kind of it gets slipping out of our hands, but it was all in good fun. I might have to look that up. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's it's really, it's a good time. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, I hope you and Danny enjoy your sports together that you guys don't get hurt. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try our best. Yeah. Let's, uh, tell us about some of the books that you're reading currently. Yeah, so um, I wish I had more time to read more books. I just feel like I've been busy lately, but... One that I've only, I've just started reading it, so I haven't gotten too far in. It's called um, The One Thing by Gary Keller. And this is actually based off of a recommendation from my boss, Bonnie. And um, it's basically about how to invest your time in a way to lead a more focused, less distracted and more satisfying life. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what that one holds for me. Um, one that I just finished recently was a book. It's a memoir by... Tegan and Sarah Quinn and they're they're one of my favorite musical artists actually they wrote a book called high school and it's about their um their youth like as queer people overcoming hardships in that path and following their dreams and in creating music and so that was that was a really good memoir that especially if you're a fan of them and their music it was just kind of really fun to see that aspect um kind of get a peek into their into what their lives were like growing up so what kind of music do they do they make? They I think they would kind of fall somewhere in alternative pop rock type of deal. 
And when did you discover them? I started listening to them. I think I think I was in high school. I had like a pretty specific memory of reading the Rolling Stone one day, and I, you know, I they do say to not judge a book by its cover, but I do remember seeing the album cover in the Rolling Stone, and there was like a little review on it. I was like, I like that album cover. I'm gonna check out this, <laughs> and I just like on a whim just kind of checked them out. Uh, hadn't really heard their stuff before, and I ended up really liking them. And they're still kind of one of my one of my favorite bands. So you were a you were a, a reader of the Rolling Stones, the magazine. So just sometimes, very very irregularly, but it it is a good it is a good magazine. I do really enjoy it. Now, um, I'd like to learn a little bit more about some of the things you've read in the past, but I don't know if you have any of that written down. Any you can remember any one book, maybe or one author that you like? There was a really good book. I can't recall the author right now. Um, it was I read it in a Chicano studies class that I took. Or actually, I do remember it was called The People of Paper, and it was a it was a fiction book, but it was just a really interesting. Um, you know, it was something, it had something along the line, it's been a while since I've read it, but I just remember it having a really big impact on me. Um, it was about the, the, the characters in the novel were rebelling against the author of the novel and like not wanting the author to kind of dictate their lives. And so it was just, it was really interesting. I think it was a really unique um, book that I would recommend checking out. That's the second time this month I've heard of that book. Really? Yes. Uh, I'm going to have to find it on Kindle and download it. You should read it. I really love that one. Yeah. And who are some of the leaders that have inspired you? Um, some of the ones I wrote down, I just feel like there's so many, but um, I think a lot of revolutionary women artists I'm doing the, the art um, path. Um, I think like Frida Kahlo is just really wonderful, the work she did. Um, I think some modern creatives are really inspiring. This um, Donald Glover, I think, is really, he's just a really talented mogul across so many mediums. I'm really inspired by him and his work. And then on a local level, I would say my boss, Bonnie, is a really, she's just a really great leader in our community, a really strong advocate um, for business and just a lot of people in our community. And those are some, those are some people that have inspired me. It's really unique to interview you today, uh, to hear such a different uh, worldview on art and motivations and passions and ideas and experiences. And this is really what I had wanted out of this Women in Leadership series, was to host leaders like you and to hear the different ways in which they are involved in creating change, creating opportunities, creating involvement uh, with different uh, skill sets and different passions. I've just been, man, I'm so intrigued with you uh, and your life story. I don't know how I'm ever going to not look at you in this way now in the, in the future because this has been so, I want to use the word hip. It's been <laughs> such a hip interview. It's been really exciting for me to hear so much about who you are as a person. 
what about your parents? Uh, you spoke Spanish at home? Not so much, actually. So I am, I am half Mexican. Um, my mom, both my parents do speak Spanish, but I think just kind of growing up, there was just kind of an emphasis on like, oh, you know, easier to get by just learning English or I just, you know, not to question kind of what they thought about what was right for me to learn or what was easier for them necessarily. But we didn't really speak it in the house. I got most of my Spanish education through school and through my own um, lived experiences. You know, that was for my family, it was the same thing. Both my parents were Depression era babies. They grew up in a segregated America. Uh, my father was served in a segregated military. When they were younger, they went to segregated schools, but because they were each the oldest, they, they had to work the fields to help the families provide. So they realized it was really our mother that made the decision because our dad was in the military and he was always, he was gone a lot. He served multiple tours of combat and two wars, but she knew the writing was on the wall. You had to speak English to have success in school and in communities. And so that was always her emphasis. I remember she would tell us that uh, this is America and in America they speak English. And so you have to be able to read, write and speak English if you're gonna go to school and find a job. And uh, I remember they'd bring some of the kids to school in first, second, third grade who didn't speak English very well and they would send them home because they couldn't communicate well in the classroom. So that was a very real issue. And I just say that out loud in this conversation with you, because there's a lot of people that don't understand that that history was real and that that conflict of being caught between both cultures was also real. It was real for many of us, as it seems like in your family too, um, that, was a, that was a reality. Alora, Man, I, I'm so grateful for t my time with you today. I'm so grateful that the audience had a chance to hear you and to hear your story. What would you like to say to, uh, if you were in a room with a group of 100 young women of different, they could be backgrounds, nationality, um, disabilities, interests, whatever it might be, and you had a chance to have a moment with them to give them inspiration about their future. What would you say to them? I think that I would tell them that no matter who you are, your voice matters. And every, you know, we have the power to make a difference in our community, no matter who we are, especially if we come, if we represent um, a group of people that has disadvantages. It's really important to kind of step up and kind of take on that leadership role. And um, yeah, just to not, you know, don't have so much doubt in yourself. Uh, you're worthy of being an, considered an important person just like anyone else. And you can do it if you set your mind to it. So in the same conversation, this is all ad, uh, this is all momentary uh, uh, for the people that are watching. These are not questions that I've sent to Alora because I want to hear from her heart, uh, unprepared and unplanned. If you could give them three uh, pieces of advice to follow up the counsel that you just gave to them, what might that be? Um, I guess the first one would be find find that one thing that you're interested in 
but to if you're too scared to do it just just give it a try i think um go ahead and try it take a chance um my second piece of advice would be uh to really prioritize your education um pay attention to school try to just do the best you can education isn't everything i think um you know it's your whole life experience that matters but i think getting that kind of baseline um and becoming aware of like what's out there is just is important um and then i guess the third would the third would also be just you know do do all these things but also remember you are just a human and prioritize your health as well whether that be your mental health your physical health um drink water and stay healthy too so that you can achieve all these things you know laura uh jeez <laughs> i just got so emotional with you saying those things um you know, my father died when I was seven, he was 39, and my mother drowned when I was 10. She drowned in flash flooding. So I grew up in different homes, and I was in college, full ride, and I dropped out <clears throat> a couple of months after entering. I was so troubled as a kid. I didn't know who I was. I Academics were the easy part. The athletics component was an easy part. Neither one of those things was a challenge. I mean, it was a challenge, but definitely not insurmountable whatsoever. But what was insurmountable was the mental health component that I was suffering from and I didn't realize. And so I would just like to concur with those that will hear this about you just gave life-changing advice. You gave life-changing words to anyone who has might be coming from any of the things we talked about any of the disadvantages that we talked about you said no matter who you are your voice matters find that one thing even if you're scared and give it a try really prioritize your education and that just doesn't mean in a classroom or at a university but all of life experiences because it's all an education and when you do all these things prioritize your health take care of your health drink water when i went to i remember going to my track coach when i was in college and uh man i was struggling laura i was depressed I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't have anybody that I could turn to. I'm sorry for getting emotional, but I remember that moment. And I went to him and I said, I feel like I have this black cloud following me everywhere I go. I didn't know it was depression then, but that's what it was. And he looked at me and his only response to me was, but you run so fast. <sighs> that was his counsel to this young, scared kid who had just turned 18, who knew who he knew my life story. And that's the only thing he could say to me. And I remember looking at him in the moment and I said, you don't care about me. You don't care about me at all. You just want me to run fast for you. I quit. Yeah. Turn around and I went back and I left, I quit the team. And I went back to my dorm room, and within a couple of weeks, I was gone. 
I dropped out, le left school because of the mental health component, because I didn't have anyone I could really count on. I couldn't, didn't have anyone I could talk to. I probably would have been one of those kids in the kind of art classes that you're talking about. I would have been one of those people that needed someone to be patient with, to be, to be gracious to, uh, that could sit back and say, just hold on, you can get through this storm. So your story today, your leadership journey, your leadership story, out of all that I've done, all those that I have heard and shared with the community, yours today has meant the 100% absolute most to me because it has reflected uh, people that looked, uh, when I say look, I don't mean because of my brown skin, I mean life experiences that looked like me growing up and didn't know how to get through some of those more difficult moments. So I personally thank you. And I can't wait to share this. I can't wait for this to get out on podcasts because there's going to be a lot of people that are, whose lives are going to be genuinely touched and moved because of the things that you shared about yourself today. That really, that means so much to me, Mark. Thank you so much. And I just, thank you as well for sharing your story with me. And I think it's um, the human component of it all is just always so important too. And finding those people in your life that you're able to talk to and open up with and learn from is just so important. And I'm really, really excited as well for people to hear this. And I'm just extremely grateful for this opportunity. In, clo in closing, Alora, what would you like to say to your mom and dad? I would say thank you for always believing in me and just being there for me, letting me letting me live my best life and encouraging me to do that. Vonnie has done a stellar job. I mentioned for those that are listening that don't know, Vonnie Mickelson is a chief executive officer of the Springfield Area Chamber of Commerce. And she has done an amazing job hiring a group of employees that are, are each so individually dynamic and talented and gifted. Um, it's been amazing to watch and to interview those that have been able to participate and willing to participate. I can see why the chamber in, it, in and of itself has become such a dynamic force in all the areas of uh, the community that it has because of the employees like you that, that work there. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be part of such a good organization as well that's led, led by so many good people. Absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today uh, Miss Laura Kelch. Uh, she works for the Springfield Area Chamber of Commerce. That's just one of the many things that she does with her life. Laura, thank you for your leadership journey, your leadership story, your leadership uh, the totality of those uh, skill sets that you bring to our community, but that you share and you give back to so many others. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice of your time. And I'm really looking forward to seeing your how your life unfolds, your leadership journey unfolds as it unfolds before our eyes and how you're able to make an impact to so many others. Thank you for choosing Springfield. Uh, thank you for coming to Oregon. And look at that beautiful cat. What? Ca Hold that cat she up. Says, she says hi. What is that cat's <laughs> name? She wanted to, to make a cameo. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is Manchi. It's short for Manchita. 
Manchitas, thank you for joining yeah. the party today. <laughs> but Laura, thank you. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best and thank you for choosing um, this time with us today. And we'll look forward to our ongoing uh, observations of your professional development here in our community. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. Have a good day.